Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George Stahl, joined with Anna Bryant and Scott Reel and Seth Abram. And we are talking today about how bad is bad. Yes, we're going to start off with that. Um, Bad is bad when the negativity bias we hold about ourselves erodes meaning in our lives by making us addicted to safety. Because it's in moments like that we pay extra special attention to external threats and exaggerate those dangers. We become so focused on averting obvious danger that we pass up opportunities, which locks us into a fixed mindset and keeps us from growing. Well, guys, let's talk about why our negativity bias is so bad and unhelpful to us, because that's what it seems like we're stuck in in moments like these. And Scott, you, uh, you talked about how conditioned negativity uh, disintegrates affirmation. So when we're in this cycle of how bad is bad, it's really bad. We're not even hearing the things that could be affirming to, to help us get out of it. So could you help us start us off today? How do we get out of this negativity bias? It's, you know, as we continue to process this material, and I study it, and the more I see in my own life, my own walk, just how powerful the negativity bias is that I believe is in the heart of shame especially when it becomes toxic. It's, the negativity bias becomes an identity. This is, this is who I am. It's not that they don't love me. It's that I am not lovable. And mm. it's just when those thoughts become ingrained, so I was talking to somebody about that again this morning, that when Dr. Leaf says that when a person struggles with shame, and as she was saying, a negativity bias receives a compliment, information. It actually increases the shame and the pain of that person because they just don't believe it. She says there has to be integrity between what I believe about myself and what God is saying about myself and then what you were saying about myself. And so this, uh, I think, looking at our lives, we become aware of where is the root? Where is this coming from? Where did it get so established in my psyche that this is what I have come to believe? And again, this is the essence of, the, of this whole premise of this book, is that form a belief, a paradigm. And that, through that negativity bias, I'm still seeing everything in my life. And that is the deep-rooted issues that so many people— um, when I did Ernie Larson's Stage 2 Recovery at Vanderbilt, they said that the first stage of recovery is that you stabilize the crisis. So you're not acting out. You're not drinking anymore. You're not looking at pornography anymore. You're not overeating anymore. But the question was, why am I still in such pain? And Larson believed is because this root belief that you have about yourself was still intact. So that level of transformation, he believed, had to come through deep work with affirmation and visualization work as to, to transform the root cause, which Covey was saying, which prompted this whole book, that paradigm that has foundationally shaped who I am. Because ultimately, my responses will be determined by that belief. So, Scott, you're saying that we could have such a profound negativity bias that even when someone's affirming us, we're not hearing it the same way that it's coming from them. We're hearing it in such a way that it's actually causing greater shame? Yes, it's actually 
from what we hear about, that actually makes people cry. They weep because they don't believe it. Mm. It's mm. what they're hearing inside of them is if you really knew me, you would not mm. believe this about me. So it discounts it. It it it. It's like shame is so powerful and it's so systemically embedded in our society. And then especially with the growth of social media, it's become a deadly platform for people. Seth, you um, you talked about uh, how this is symptomatic symptomatic of our disconnection and ways to overcome this is uh, a deeper connection yeah yeah you know i think in this um i keep saying modern world i think it makes sense to say that where the phone has connected us to to everything Mm. uh, we are you know more connected than ever and more disconnected than ever at the same time and yeah. you're right. I think it is, is is symptomatic of a disconnectedness from myself. Like I was at the gym this mm-hmm. morning, and I, I'm already aware of this. I know this about myself, but I was just very present to the the reality that my thoughts are outside of me in such an extreme way. I'm such a relational thinker. I'm trying in in a you know we already know the the brain is budgeting uh, our resources for how safe we feel and and the brain is on some level interpreting our safety in a in, uh, in, in more extreme ways than I think we really think like if hmm. if I'm if I'm thinking like I realized this morning I'm thinking about what everybody else is thinking of me the whole time I'm in the gym hmm. and if I'm not present to that on some level my body is registering insecurity and unsafety Mm. Um, and, and so I, for me, I had to continue to return back to like, bring my attention back here, right where I am in my body. I don't need to be out here where I'm trying to manage and, and figure out what, what are they thinking that I just did this and they're doing that. And should I lift this longer and harder? And well, I wonder that <laughs> that is so I'm using so much energy and, yes. and, and <laughs> that is causing, I think, feelings of unsafety or insecurity. Um, and it's, it, I need to come back into myself. I need to come back into my body and actually ask myself, am I safe? Well, yeah, I am safe. I'm in my body. That's where I can, that's the only place I can actually know and have a felt real sense of safety in my, in my body. And that's where I think when we do that, the symptoms are less, will lessen that we are not disconnected, you know, then from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a real way of how that actually shows up. Our thoughts are just simply out here trying to manage the thoughts of what other people are thinking about us. So the first step is coming back to yourself. So, and then what about, uh, Seth, especially in the social media age, how when people are complimenting and affirming, you mentioned this to you, it, uh, for you to really believe it, it has to be more than just hearing it. It has to be embodied in some way because mm-hmm. often we're only allowing people to see the version of ourselves that we want them to see. And so how's that, how's that work for you? You had some interesting thoughts about that, how just hearing something may not just be enough for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I get off track by how I first want to answer this, help me come back. But I was just thinking about, (laughs) you know, we just did week five last last night or at least this week, uh, in the journey to freedom, uh, book. And, you know, we, that was, that's on shame. Right and uh, Bradshaw's uh, model of of shame in a cycle, 
And he talks about how if toxic shame is at the center, then, you know, we create a false self. Uh, that's what develops out of that. And so even even when we are receiving compliments, mm-hmm. people tend to be complimenting the false self that we're portraying to them. Mm. And so it's not actually even informing us. It's that's, that's That causes even more shame, which I think we've talked about. Like they're complimenting the, the version of me that I'm hoping you'll like. Mm. I'm not showing you all of me that I'm worried could be rejected. So when you actually compliment me, it can bring more shame if I'm not actually showing you something that I think is truly me. I'm just presenting you know, a persona that I hope will prove my value. So starting, <laughs> that's the first thing that came up. But yes, there's a, there also is a part of receiving compliments that needs to be, like the example that I, that I think you were referring to was when someone's, I, I, have, I wrestle with feelings of not knowing if my, my voice or my significance matters. And so it's easy for me to dismiss that in a group situation. Like what I think doesn't matter as much. It's a, it's a normal mm-hmm. automatic habit for me. And so one way that it's been said to, com- to communicate um, to people like me is, just, is to just tell them your voice matters. And if I just hear that from somebody, it, it doesn't really help me to hear, oh, thanks. Like, but it's not, it's not catching me in the act of when my voice is actually mattering. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so for, for example, if somebody said, see, your voice does matter, when... I am saying something to someone else uh, that is encouraging them, that is helping them see their that their significance. When um, when I'm encouraging somebody, when somebody says, "See, somebody with significance or somebody's voice that does matter wouldn't be able to encourage somebody else," you know, if that wasn't true of you. So it's catching me. It's in the, in the moment of like helping somebody else, and and that helps me realize, oh yeah. My voice does matter, but you can't just say it to me without any context or any, you know, example, wow. real life example. Yeah. That's where it actually informs me. So it's more than affirming words, but it's affirming words that we can connect to some way that we're embodying it or yeah. experiencing it or someone else is experiencing it. Yeah, that's so helpful. Well, we're, um, we're talking about just how negativity bias holds us back in some way. And Anna, you had some interesting thoughts Um in regards to maybe the way we were raised and how we heard praise or how we heard how we were being corrected and maybe how that plays into our negativity bias. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I think that kind of goes along with a a lot of what Seth was saying that, um, and Scott as well, like just not being able to maybe receive certain affirmations or believe certain things about ourselves, uh, maybe in adulthood that we didn't receive in childhood. So maybe if you grew up in a in a family that was really concerned about um, behavioral output, like that really like it was really important for you to get good grades or it was really important for you to perform athletically or if it was really important for you to appear a certain way. Like I think those are all pretty common elements that uh, a lot of people in our culture can relate with in their childhood, having that pressure. Um, And so I think a lot of times in our family of origin, when we don't live up to those standards or expectations, there is um, just like constant correction or, you know, there's our shortcomings are, are pointed out. And then I think often times when we do the right things, sometimes it's, it can be 
not acknowledged. And so, um, at least, you know, in, in my experience, like I think my, my, my own family of origin, my parents were trying so hard to course correct from where they came from that they were trying to really buckle down on like undesired behaviors or appearance or image of, of how it looks to be right, you know, morally right, I guess. And so I think in my family of origin, almost praise could have been considered like, oh, well, we can't do that because then we're going to, we're going to build pride or we're going to build ego and there will be no like humility. Mm. And so I, I literally like growing up, don't remember receiving. I mean, I'm sure there was at some point, some kind of praise. I remember receiving a lot of correction when I fell short or missed the mark. I don't remember receiving a lot of praise or encouragement for things that were done well or for just being honestly like just accepted for who and what I was or seen for who and what I was. And so uh, when you get to adulthood, you like you're just always like, oh, well, I've got to do better, I've got to try better, I've got to work harder, I've got to because you're constantly trying to course correct and measure up to this somewhat unattainable mark because nobody will ever reach perfection, right? We'll never we'll never mm-hmm. tick all the boxes, we'll never have it all going our way and do everything right. So I think it's really important to if if that is kind of your frame of reference to understand that and to find ways to start building that positive thought process into who you are. And uh, like Seth said, it's super helpful when somebody can say specifically when they can call something out in you like this in you is good or right or desirable because of this specific thing that I see or I have experienced like for yesterday, Seth and I had a great conversation mm. in the office, and um, his voice does matter. <laughs> I'll just say that because mm. he, we were talking about some really hard things that I'm grappling with, and um, he said something to me very specifically about uh, where I'm at, and um, it was like reiterating a voice that I was hearing from another position, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is right. This is like, it was just so mm. affirming and so specific. And um, yeah, I think we need to hear that when we do something that is meaningful or mattering or bringing good in the world to be intentional in in people in our realm to call that out and to speak it in and speak life into people, really. Seth, how's that feel? Well, I'll say too, <laughs> I think part of, part of um, why this stuff can be so difficult mm. is we all want to be seen, but it's really difficult to be seen too. Mm. And as Anna was naming that, I was feeling some level of, yeah, maybe I did say something cool, but don't say it in front of everybody. You know, I was trying to, <laughs> I felt myself sorry, trying to not retreat. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. I think there's like a part he was of pulling his shirt up over his <laughs> head. <and> <laughs> there's a part of this that is yeah. like bearing the weight of, feeling seen like that's what i think it means to receive something good about us and that is the negativity bias that yeah if anyone would have something i should go hide because yep they don't see the parts of me that i know um and so yeah that's and i guess to grow up Anna, to your point um and then to view the world always as i'm not enough and when people are in beautiful ways, really affirming who you truly are to not be able to receive that or hear that because your, your biases and I'm, I'm not good enough. Yeah. That's, that's a really difficult way to live. Now, 
here's here's what I want to move towards you guys because all of us have bad days, right? Um, that's the topic of this. It's how bad is bad? Well, it, it can get really bad when we are not able to do the work and to get the help of other people who care deeply about us to, to overcome some of these negativity biases that, that we have. But the truth is we all have bad days. And even on the journey of transformation, there's, there's going to be bad days, right? And there's going to be days where we want to quit. And there's going to be days where we don't want to believe or it's hard to believe that it could get better. And so, Scott, in, in this day, you talked about how words of criticism outweigh showers of praise when, when we're in this cycle. Um, and then you also quoted from, uh, I think it was the book Power or Bad, that um, we need four good days to offset one good day. So uh, when we're having a bad day, um, yes, it's going to involve some work. It's going to take some persistence. That's what I want to talk a little bit about. Scott, you brought this up, that we all need to persevere. And to do this kind of work, to overcome a negativity bias, uh, yes, it's going to require some effort. But what is perseverance as it pertains to this? Or or what does perseverance um, mean to you, Scott? You had some really helpful words about this. It's... It's an awareness that this is not going to be an overnight matter. I'm not going to have one day where I just start throwing out some positive affirmations about myself, believing somehow they're magically going to stick because they are not. Those, mm. The negative bias in the, in the messages and the narrative and ultimately the paradigm is so deeply entrenched in us that um, we're going to set ourselves up failure if we think that I'm not still going to struggle with these things. So again, as we have shared with our listeners for so many times on this podcast, that awareness is critical. So if I find myself slipping back into, and I will slip back into those negative biases and that narratives, because deeply, the deepest region of me where that paradigm has its foundation I still struggle with what I believe about myself. And I think about what um, Mike O'Neill wrote in uh, Power to Choose years ago. It's always stayed with me. He said that there's no power in what I say I believe in, but I really don't. And I think about that. He was referring to our our spiritual beliefs about God. But for me, that also pertains to no power if I'm trying to flourish myself with positive comments if I really believe it. Mm. And it is inevitable that I'm going to be triggered almost daily with something kind of like what Seth was saying, that anything can all of a sudden take me into a position of, oh gosh, that's just, I wish, I wish that was true. And so, and I think about that, how often I discount People say positive things to me. It makes me very emotional at times. I'm like, gosh, everything in me wants to believe that's true. Why can't I believe that? And I've actually had people say to me before, Scott, I wish you could see yourself the way that we see you. And I almost feel like God was saying to me, Scott, I wish you could see yourself the way that I see you. And so, the is it, George, is it Romans 12? Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, the hmm. patterns of this world are what I have come to believe through this world system that I'm so entrenched in. I've come to believe about myself. And um, I, uh, I want to believe that these new things about myself that people are saying and what I want to believe about myself are true. And so redirecting 
as Dr. Leaf says, it, I think she says, you know, it takes almost 60 some to 90 days for these things of a consistent message. And she says, you've got to be very self-disciplined. She says, this is the hardest work you ever do, capturing those thoughts and then working to renew a new thought. So again, the kenosis, the emptying out, we can't even get the divine messages in us if we're still holding on to these deeply entrenched negative beliefs that we have about ourselves. So, but the good news is, if I surround myself with a healing community, people like you guys, who are there always to remind me, no, that is not true, Scott. And that would be the first thing I would want people to understand. I, you can't do this alone. There's, it's impossible. I need you constantly reflecting to me and reminding me of who I really am in Christ and who I'm becoming and all the possibilities of that. Because what science shows us is the bad is so powerful because it's fear-based. And mm -hmm. fear is such a powerful emotion. You guys familiar with uh, Stephen Pressfield and his his books, The War of Art and Doing the Work? He talks about resistance in there. And I'm, I've always been just so encouraged by the kinds of things that bring up resistance. Let me read a couple to you, and then I'd love to have you guys comment on this. But in there, he talks about, it's these are the things that bring up resistance in our life. So... And they're good things. So maybe when we're facing the most kind of resistance and needing to be more persistent, it's probably because it's coming from a really good place. There's some really good things that are wanting to come about in our lives. But he talks about resistance or, the, or these things, the pursuit of any calling in writing, painting, music, film, dance, any creative art, however uh, marginal or unconventional. Um, the launching of any entrepreneurial venture or enterprise for profit or um, otherwise, any diet or health regimen, um, any spiritual program of spiritual advancement, any activity whose aim is to uh, the acquisition of, I love this, chiseled abdominals. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody feeling resistance with that? Yes, of course. Any course or program designed to overcome an unwholesome habit or addiction? Of course, there's going to be resistance. Education of any kind? Any act of political, moral, or ethical courage, including the decision to change for the better, some unworthy pattern of thought or conduct in ourselves, the undertaking of any enterprise or endeavor whose aim is to help others, any act that entails commitment of the heart, the decision to get married, to have a child, to weather a rocky patch in a relationship. And then one last one, um, he says, the taking of any principled stand in the face of adversity. And I love how he ends these, and I'd love to just hear your guys' thoughts on this, because this is reality. And the bad is bad sometimes, but bad can only get better when we face this kind of reality, that it's going to be a struggle, and there's going to be resistance, and we can overcome it. But he ends it with this, in other words, in, in other words any act that rejects immediate gratification in favor of long-term growth, health, or integrity. Isn't that what we're talking about here? That anything good, anything great, is not going to come about in an instant, but it might happen more gradually. And maybe the resistance that we're facing, maybe the need that we have to persevere is because there's something really beautiful about to grow or to come forth in our lives, right? Yeah. And George, I was going to say real quick what you just said and what Seth said just a minute ago, that if I have a toxic shame bias, if I really have this inner negative belief about myself, and I am 
now projecting a false self to get you to approve. I know it's not true. Mm -hmm. I know it's false. I know it's pretentious. So the only way that I'm ever going to be able to move him, I'm really having inner beliefs about myself that are positive, is that I drop the false self and I really present mm -hmm. my who I, this is who I really am. This is what I struggle with. This is what I've done. This is, and then you say to me, hey, Scott, we love you. We believe in you. We're never going to abandon you. That, uh, that's when I'm really experiencing love that's transformative. Um, so you guys become like the body of Christ in my life. Mm -hmm. you, it's like Christ is saying to me through you, I don't need to put that self on anymore, Scott. I know who you are completely, just as you are, and you're enough that way. Yeah, affirmation is not denying the struggle. Exactly. It's acknowledging and, and taking the risk to share that to ourselves and with others, right? Yeah, because if we keep living through a false self, that becomes mm -hmm. who I am. It's almost like uh, Jekyll and Hyde. I don't even know when it just comes all the time. It's, it becomes a, so systemic again. This day ended with the nine enders, is what you called it. And there are these moments in our life, um, often at the end of decades, 29, 39, 49, endings can make us question meaning and or energize us to achieve meaning. And so, um, but these are just moments in our life that naturally happen. And, and um, some of us here are, are at those ages. 49 <laughs> And tomorrow. approaching those. Yes. <laughs> don't forget that. Anna, restore small groups. Tomorrow's her birthday. I don't know when this is going to come out. It'll be after, after her birthday. Sure. But hey, go ahead and send it to her anyway. She, she'll be thrilled to get a, a belated birthday wish. Or it'll be early for next year, Anna. There you go. But uh, Seth, you, you had some interesting thoughts with this because you... Did I? Yes, you did. Do you remember? <laughs> because because yeah, these, these ending uh, nines, they, you know, yes, they do cause us to question meaning, but here's what you said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you of this. Also, this will jar, but it's, they help us to open beyond the bad, that they have a way of helping us begin to see that, that we might be able, this is an opportunity. You know, this is a moment to take evaluation, but maybe open up to a better ending or a way that I can make this or help this go better. Does that jar you at all? Um, I don't think I'm in the same headspace as I was back then. Uh, <laughs> but a fresh thought yeah. that might have uh, been from where I was speaking from is... Um, in that, I feel, I feel it's kind of today. Today is mm -hmm. November 1st. Yeah. Right? Yeah, today's yeah. November 1st. At least um, on the day we're recording it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I think about how there is a whole month of potential waiting for us. What can mm -hmm. we, what can we accomplish? But the simple, I, I don't know who first thought of like setting up a year in, times chunks uh, and calling them months or calling them days but those things when they come near an end they I think they do allow for to see there is a I'm trying to put this into words and it's not working very well I feel like but um, there is a, a limited amount of time that I have to get something done in what we call a month hmm. and that means I have something to work with um, and so that gives me hope about what I could accomplish 
Uh, and I think this is like working with time. Like if we didn't have structures and limitations, then then it would just feel like uh, an endless thing that I, I don't know how to attain. But we, we make the whole year into bite-sized uh, chunks called months and weeks and days. And that's how I know I've got a week to get this done. Uh, that's how I've structured time and I've set it up that way. That means like for me at least, I think about then I am able to open up beyond the fact that last month was not great. But this is a brand new month, even though it's it's just the same thing as yesterday. We just call it something. We've structured it into mm. what we call a new month. Well, that actually feels hopeful to me because I can do something new with this one, uh, even though in reality it's, <laughs> it's nothing new than different than what you know the last few days have been. It's just now we call it something different. So that feels like I can leverage that, and I can choose to do something new with these next few days called November. <laughs> and that's what we're inviting people. It sounds to me, it's like the Apple spinning pinwheel. It's that reboot, you know, that reminder that it's a new month. Okay, let me just go ahead and reboot this thing mm-hmm. and get out of that Apple pinwheel. My screen is stuck. <laughs> and the gift of time is that we have these marked moments in our lives where, yeah, we we can go ahead. This is an opportunity to do a reboot. I, I think that's what we're saying. So those those nine enders are, are opportunities to do that. But to your point, it could be a month. It could be at the end of a day going, well, tomorrow I'm going to reboot. But with integrity, right, Scott? It's with honesty. It's not denying the struggle and pretending to be something we're not. But it's going, tomorrow I got I got another chance. And, and I think that's what you're driving at for this day that you want people to hold on to. No matter how bad it is, there's always an opportunity to make it better, Right. That's what gives, Seth was saying, that's what gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Time either is my enemy or it's my friend. And it really comes mm-hmm. down to the perspective I'm putting into it. You know, it's either presenting me an opportunity to prepare and become, and I can work towards changing the meaning to my life, or I see that I don't have enough time. It's just a reminder of how much I've missed and missed. Um, and again, that's why I need people like you in my life to remind me time is my friend. Will you close this day with these words? And this is what I want to stand on today. But you said, so use this moment to disengage from the meaningless past. Make a fresh start. Part ways with the inferior self. Reimagine and reawake. Then pay attention to the value of your life. Set some new goals that have meaning to you. Changing the meaning of our lives is new energy. And uh, that's what we want you all to leave today hearing that we can do this. And it's not going to be easy. But uh, you're not alone on this journey. And if even though we're all on different paths and trying to find our way, we're all traveling the same human journey. And so we'd love to join you uh, along the way in some way. So visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org to learn more about groups you can join. But over every mountain, there is a path, and your future rewards those who discover and press on. So stay on the path and take care, friends. Hey, it's Anna. Thanks so much for tuning into the Searching Inward podcast. 
If you've enjoyed listening or have benefited in any way from the podcast, we would love for you to come alongside and join us in the mission to bring hope and healing to the world. By considering becoming a monthly giver of even $5, you're making a huge impact on the ways we're able to serve. Please consider giving by going to www.RestoreSmallGroups.org backslash donate. Thank you.